بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا من فضلك علما وتعليما إنك على كل شيء قدير وبعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله we continue in this program titled Knowing Allah Through His 99 Names in which we seek to explore just some of the meanings of the most beautiful names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Asma'ullah Al-Husna and we're still in the particular order of the divine names mentioned in Surah Al-Hashar and what was the name or the names we covered last week? Al-Muhaymin and Al-Aziz so going back to Surah Al-Hashar after Al-Muhaymin and Al-Aziz what are the next two names? Al-Jabbar and Al-Mutakabbir Al-Jabbar and Al-Mutakabbir So we have this name Al-Jabbar How would you translate the name Al-Jabbar? Any suggestions? So you're giving out all the answers now Alright, so most people When they hear the name Al-Jabbar Assuming they've read through the 99 names and their basic translations. Most people think of Al-Jabbar as the compeller, the one who compels. And that's not wrong, but there are other ways it has been explained. So this divine name Al-Jabbar, we can say means the compeller, also, we can say that it means the mender. It is said that the name Al-Jabbar means the one who mends something with a degree of force. What does it mean to mend? If you have a broken bone, for instance, you have to set the bone, and it requires a bit of force to do so. You can't just go to someone with a broken arm and gently touch their arm to set the bone. It requires a little bit of force to mend it. So that is one interpretation. And does anyone know what is the name for a cast or a, 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 wrap, a bandage wrapping in the Arabic language? Jabira. Jabira. It comes from the same root letters. So that is to mend, to repair. So it is said that it is the, he is the one who mends something with a degree of force. That's interesting because we use the analogy of the broken bone. The broken bone that is set is not set lightly and gently. It does require a bit of force to do so, right? And sometimes our affairs that are a bit broken have to be set aright and mended, and that mending is a little tough. It's a little painful. There's a little force in those things being set aright. So this has been said. And this is derived from the meaning of the root word. In Arabic you say, Jabbartul kasar, meaning I mended the break. It can also be used to convey the meaning of mending and repair alone, without force. So sometimes a person can be mended or repaired and it's done with lutf, with gentleness and ease. And sometimes it can be used to convey the meaning of force alone. And that's where we get the idea of al-jabbar as the compeller. So this is what is said regarding the meaning of al-jabbar. So you can break it down into two core meanings. The one who rectifies the affairs 
of his servants. The one who fixes and mends. And the one who takes it upon himself to care for their needs. But he is also the compeller. He is also the compeller because in the Arabic language, the word jabr, jim, ba, and ra, gives the meaning of force or compulsion. And you have the word ijbar, which means to compel someone to do something. So which one, which of these two meanings fits in the context of Surah Al-Hashr the most. Think about that. Because remember, we talked about names that are names of Jalal, of majesty and rigor. And there are names that are names of beauty. Now obviously, Al-Jabbar as the mender is a name of beauty. Fixing something that's broken. Mending and repairing and restoring. And Al-Jabbar as the compeller is a name giving a meaning of jalal, of majesty and force. So if you have these two meanings, and both of them are valid, which one, which meaning fits most appropriately in the context of Surah Al-Hashr? This is an interesting question. If you look at the sequence of names, right? As-Salam, Al-Mu'min, Al-Muhaymin, then you have what? Al-Aziz, Al-Jabbar, Al-Mutakabbir. So the name Al-Jabbar is between the name Al-Aziz and Al-Mutakabbir. Names of Jalal. So you could look at it like that and say that it is a name of Jalal because it's in a particular sequence with other names of Jalal. That's possible. Now, when we say that the name of Allah, Al-Jabbar, means the compeller, what it means, according to Imam Al-Ghazali and others, is that his will, his irada, prevails over the will of everything else. No one's individual will can prevail over the will of Allah Ta'ala. He has no competitor no equal, and there's no one to prevent him from carrying out his will. And this is the arrogance of people who think that they're godlike, like Nimrod, when he said to Ibrahim that I give life and I cause death. And he's thinking that the meaning of giving life and causing death is killing someone. And so Ibrahim السلام, he countered that argument with a superior argument by saying what? Indeed Allah brings the sun from the east المغرب, bring it from the west if you're God and the one who disbelieved was, was defeated. So this compulsion, the compeller, it means that no one's will can prevent Allah from executing His will. This compulsion does not mean that we believe that we are forced or that we are fatalist. Within Islamic history, you've had a few different ideas that emerged regarding divine will and power and human will. You have, of course, Ahl-Sunnah, which is in the middle, as always. But on the one hand, you have one group who came to be identified as the Jabriya from Jabr. And they were fatalists. They believed that human beings don't have will. We are essentially like leaves blowing in the wind. We actually, we don't choose our actions. We don't have will. We're compelled. That was their belief. On the other side, you had the counter-extreme, which were the Qadariya, who were the extreme proponents of, of absolute free human will, that human beings create their own actions, 
And the fundamental error of both groups is that they were looking at certain ayat of the Qur'an that seemed to affirm their belief, while not really reconciling them with the other verses that affirm some degree of will for human beings. So the Qadariyya are looking at verses that affirm human will. They're not looking at the other verses. The Jabriyya are looking at the verses where Allah Ta'ala affirms His supreme will and not looking at the other verses. But Ahl-Sunnah, we look at everything collectively. So when we say the name Al-Jabbar means the compeller, it doesn't mean that he compels people to do things they don't want to do where they're like leaves blowing in the wind or puppets. We don't believe that. And one of the clearest proofs is our own human experience. As human beings, we have an intuitive sense that distinguishes between voluntary movements and involuntary movements. What's an involuntary movement? What's that? It's like, like, breathing, like breathing when you sleep. Uh, your eyes blinking. Or you have a muscle cramp and it starts to shake. You recognize that this is not you making a decision. Oh, I've decided that I'm going to cause this to happen. And you distinguish between those involuntary actions and voluntary actions, like raising your hand, moving it around, picking up a phone. We have that intuitive sense, the distinction between the ikhtiyari, voluntary movements, and the ghair ikhtiyari, involuntary movements. So the compeller means the one whose will is not prevented from being carried out by any other. Now, in the words of Sheikh Ahmed Zarruq, rahimahullah, in his commentary on the divine names, he says, whoever knows that Allah is Al-Jabbar will deem every tyrant insignificant and will turn to him in all affairs while adopting the quality of utter neediness. And he, Allah, will mend what is broken of his a'mal, his works, and complete what is lacking in his hopes. So he kind of puts it all together. He gives you both meanings and says, if you know Allah, your Lord, is truly al-Jabbar, then you will deem every tyrant insignificant. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will address all of the tyrants of this world on the Day of Judgment. In the hadith of the Prophet wasallam. He mentions that on the day of judgment, as these tyrants are resurrected, as everyone's resurrected, Allah will call out, Ain al-Jabbarun al-Mutakabbirun. Where are the Jabbarun, the tyrants and the arrogant ones? They'll all be dealt with swiftly, with Allah's justice. And their tyranny is not from a place of absolute power, is from a place of istidraj where they exercise this tyranny and this power over people taking their rights and abusing them and torturing them and killing them and they think this is because of their power and authority and their greatness and they don't realize that this is imhal Allah gives them this time where they're just adding iniquity upon iniquity until the punishment becomes even worse for them in the hereafter. And that their tyranny can be quickly taken out like this, just by getting a small infection or a cough. Any tiny little thing that can put them on their knees, because they're not actually in control. They want people to think that they're in absolute control. right? And the person who knows Allah is in Jabbar, will adopt the quality of neediness, and Allah will mend what is broken of their works. So if they're lacking in their ibadah, they're lacking in their deen, Allah mends those works. Mending them can take on different forms. It can be, uh, on a practical side, mending them through giving them the means to mend them, through education, and through commitment, and through doing things properly when before they weren't doing them properly. They could be mended by being accepted 
even though they, they had deficiencies in them, right? Who can say, you know, after praying their five prayers, after Isha, before they go to bed, all of my prayers today were good prayers, right? On Wednesday, we mentioned the Athar from uh, Hatim al-Asam, this description of his prayer. He describes how he has this presence in prayer. And after describing all the things that he does and, and visages in the prayer, at the very end, he says, and after I'm done, I don't know. Uh, were these prayers accepted or were they rejected? Right? So all of our actions need mending. Right? Because even if you think they're sincere, there's still inattentiveness. There's still awareness of the other. Right? Aghyar. So they're mended in different ways. So going now to the, the three levels, uh, connection, cultivation, and realization, this is coming from the words of Shaykh Ahmad ibn Ajiba, rahmatullahi alayhi. He says that the way you connect devotionally to the name Al-Jabbar, he says, turn to Allah asking him to mend your faults. Ya Jabbar, mend my faults. And in fact, one of the du'as that we say in the jalsa, does anyone know it? There's a few different riwayat. Rabbi khfirli, Rabbi khfirli. But there's other wordings to that. Wajburni, wajburni. Mend me. Right? So you turn to Allah, and we're doing that in the jalsa of salah when we use that particular riwayah in the du'a. Asking Allah to mend our faults and to perfect us where we're lacking. So that's the first part of ta'alluq, of connection. The second part, he says, take possession of your states and compel your ego and overpower your base desires and your shaitan. So that's giving you the meaning of ijbar. Right? So the first meaning is to mend or to repair. The second meaning of compelling. So you're connecting to this name by compelling yourself and overpowering your lower impulses. That's kind of takhalluq, isn't it? Kind of like takhalluq. But you're turning to Allah, asking Him to give you tawfiq in that. And that is the connection. The cultivation part, Shaykh Ahmad ibn Ajiba says that you cultivate the meaning of this name and character. He says, mend hearts and overpower your base desires out of love for Allah. So you see what was in connection is here too, right? But the, the first part of this mending hearts, he's giving us this idea that if you're going to take the meaning of that name Jabbar as a quality of character, what should you mend? What should I mend? What is broken around us that needs mending, that we can be a part of? Mending and repairing, right? There's a lot of damage in the world. There's, there's damage on every conceivable level all around us in the world. What can we mend? What can we repair? And if we find that we don't have the ability to mend or repair something, at the very least, we can keep ourselves from breaking it further, right? So you mend hearts. And that mending can take on different forms. It's primarily through character, but also through having perhaps some influence and respect with people that you can help repair damaged relationships between people, that you can console them in times of grief, that you can give them an inspiring word that inspires hope in Allah Ta'ala and forgiveness. That you're not the person that's going around breaking the hearts of people. That's the cultivation aspect. And as for tahakkuk or realization, this is going to be divided into two parts. There is the, the, the realization of the name on the basis of it meaning the mender. And then there is the realization on the basis of it meaning the compeller. So he says, in line with the first meaning, the one who mends, it is realized when you possess a light 
that penetrates the inward of things, so that all who come into contact with you have their brokenness mended and their spiritual state uplifted. If we were to summarize this into one short and easy sentence, it is, you have tahakkuk, realization of the name Al-Jabbar, when you become Muhammadi. Because he would mend hearts. He would repair the brokenness in the world and in people's lives. And when they would come around him, their spiritual state uplifted. So what he's getting at is that when you have deep realization of this name, it really changes you to the point that you are a person that brings healing to the world. And when people are around you, they're getting a share of that healing. They don't get sicker when they're around you. They get better, right? And that can take on different forms. But that is the tahakkuk of this name. Now, if we say that al-jabbar means the compeller, there's also a tahakkuk for that. He says that in line with the second meaning of the name, i.e. the compeller, it is realized when all of your movements and interactions are by Allah. And if we wanted to summarize that into a very short sentence, it means you have realization of the name al-jabbar when you truly enter properly into the state of Islam. What is Islam? Al-istislamu lillahi Submitting to the divine in obedience, right? Your harakat and your mu'amalat, everything is billah, meaning guided by the guidance of Allah, in submission to the irada of Allah, the shari'ya, where it is a reflection of the guidance given by Allah in the Qur'an and the guidance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa that is the tahakkuk of that name. You have compelled your nafs, your ego, to follow that guidance. You're not picking and choosing, right? You're not succumbing to the lower impulses. This is a very high degree. You basically are a, a Muslim with a capital M in bold. And it's a reality. It's not just a partial thing or a pick and choose thing. That's some of what we can say regarding the realization of Al-Jabbar. Now here we have something really beautiful. Uh, Imam Al-Ghazali in his Al-Maqsad Al-Asna, when he talks about the name Al-Jabbar, he, he relates this meaning of compelling to the human experience and describes what he calls the most compelling man. He says the compeller among men. And when we say men, right? it includes women. Uh, the compeller among men, human beings, is one who is an influencer and not influenced. And obviously by influencer, he doesn't mean people who are on TikTok and Instagram making videos, that's not what it means, right? People hear the word influencer now, and that's the first thing that comes to mind. Obviously, that's not what he means. He says it is the compeller among men is the one who is an influencer and not influenced. One who is matbur, who is followed, and not a follower. And the chief of the compellers among men is the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. And for this, he gives some evidence. He mentions the hadith where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam says, were Musa alive, he would have no choice but to follow me, for I am the master of the children of Adam, and that is no boast. So he is the, the most compelling man, sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam, in that he is the supreme influencer and the supreme among those who are followed such that even the prophets would have to follow him if they were alive in his time sallallahu alayhi wa alihi he is also the mender as well 
He is also Jabbar in the sense that he is the mender. He sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam mends what is torn. And this takes on a variety of meanings. He mends what has been torn or what has been discarded in the past of sacred norms, of laws, of ethics and character. He says, I was only sent to complete the beautiful qualities of character. He does not say, I have only been sent to initiate or to found, to found good character, meaning good character was already there. It is a sacred norm, but a lot of it was discarded or altered or mutilated. He mended what was damaged. He mended and repaired it, reestablishing it as the sacred norm. He also mends broken hearts through his care and his concern and his dua. وَصَلِّ عَلَيْهِمْ إِنَّ صَلَاتَكَ سَكَنٌ لَهُمْ Right? حَرِيصٌ عَلَيْكُمْ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ رَؤُوفٌ رَحِيمٌ And he is mending character by his example. So a person has bad character, but when they decide, no, I'm taking him as the uswa, their character gets mended, it gets fixed. And you see so many examples in the seerah of character getting mended in so many different ways. The character is, um, is mended gently with those who are brand new Muslims coming from far away. And the character gets mended with a little bit of force because we said Jabbar can mean a little bit of force. It gets mended with a little bit of force among those companions who had spent the most time with him. The way he corrected the senior Sahaba was different from how he would correct those brand new Muslims who were Bedouins living far away. Right? Things that were addressed very softly and gently to those outsiders would have been addressed with much stronger words to those who were senior in their relationship because he knows that they can take it and he knows and they know that there's a relationship of love and trust and devotion that's how it is so he rectifies on so many levels. And that is what we say, inshallah, about the name Al-Jabbar. Now the next name that comes in Surah Al-Hashar is Al-Mutakabbir. Now, if you said that a person, a human, is Mutakabbir, how would you translate Mutakabbir? Arrogant. Can we say that al-mutakabbir means the arrogant? No, we wouldn't say that. Because it has a negative connotation. So what exactly does al-mutakabbir mean as a divine name? We would say it means the proud. Now we hear the word proud or pride and we think of the negative aspect. But for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, pride is kamal. Right? For human beings, it's not kamal. It's not a perfection. And the ulama, they say that al-mutakabbir, as a divine name, the proud, means that he, subhanahu wa ta'ala, is the possessor of majesty. The one who sees everything as haqir, inconsiderable in relation to himself and who thereby looks upon others as a king looks upon his servant. So there is no comparison to be made between al-hadith wal-qadim, between the divine and the contingent. What possible comparison could be made? There is no comparison. So everything besides Allah Ta'ala is haqir, it is inconsiderable in relation to himself. Because everything besides him is finite, is relative, is in need, utterly independent 
without intrinsic existence. Right? What existence we have, what we will call wujud, it's extrinsic to ourselves. It's not intrinsic. The only being whose, whose existence is necessary and intrinsic is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it is the one of Jalal who sees everything inconsiderable in relation to himself. So this means that he looks upon others as a king looks upon his servant. And that's, that's his haqq because it is based on reality. That is the reality. Now some of the ulama say that al-mutakabbir means the one who manifests that majesty to his servants. So because here in the Arabic language, al-mutakabbir, it comes from the form tafa'ala. Right? Tafa'ala in the Arabic language, it, it can take on a variety of meanings depending on the verb you use and the context, but it gives the idea of making it appear, right, to someone, right? There's this sense. Um, so if you say, takabbara, that person behaved or acted in that way to someone else. They manifested that quality in their interaction with someone else. Therefore, they say it's the one who manifests his majesty to his servants. So they, they experience that, they see that uh, in the, the cosmos. Now we have a really beautiful commentary on the meaning of Al-Mutakabbir, this name of Jalal, by Al-Imam Al-Qushayri. Imam Al-Qushayri may be familiar to some of you, uh, the author of Al-Risalat Al-Qushayriya, but he also has a book on the 99 names. And he says that Al-Mutakabbir is one of Allah's names mentioned in the Qur'an. His pride refers to his supreme majesty, greatness, exaltedness, glory, grandeur, magnificence, and resplendence. All of these adjectives refer to his deserving the qualities of majesty and being transcendent beyond faults and deficiencies. He says in creation, however, the quality of pride is blameworthy. And it is stated in the Hadith Qudsi, pride is my rida, the, the upper garment, majazan. وَالْعَظَمَةُ izari, الْكِبِرِيَاءُ رِدَائِ وَالْعَظَمَةُ izari. It says, pride is my upper garment and greatness my lower garment. Obviously, garment here is majaz, it means his qualities. Whosoever contends with me in either of them, I shall break him. Whoever contends or tries to compete or like this, in either of these qualities, I shall break him. Meaning Allah will destroy that person. So when a person is acting arrogantly, one of the problems with that disease is that it's completely unbefitting for the human being. Right? Because we have this different sins. And you have sins that are hayawaniya. They're animalistic in nature. Those are still rooted in our, our, our nature, our biology. You know, sins related to food and sexuality. Right? Those sins are sins, but they're still rooted in biology. They're just expressed in the wrong way. But then you have sins that are not rooted in your elemental nature. They're actually rooted in shaitani qualities. So... There's no proper outlet for their expression because they don't befit human beings at all. And those are qualities that shaitan takes on, such as arrogance, kibr, takabbur, hasad, right? these qualities. That's why it is a great sin. Because there's a sense of 
a person contending with Allah Ta'ala with a quality that only befits him. So that's how we should understand it. Now coming to connection, cultivation, and realization, of course you're probably wondering, how can I cultivate that? We'll see. Shaykh Ahmed ibn Ajiba, when he talks about ta'alluq, or connection, he says, humble yourself before his greatness and submit to his decrees where the meekness and submissiveness of servitude, rubudiyah, encounter the magnificence and greatness of lordship, of lordship rububiyyah. So basically, what is our, uh, one of the ulama say, al-faqr wasfun dhati la yanfakku anhu insan. This neediness or poverty, the poverty of the human condition, is an intrinsic quality that one can never transcend. They can never go beyond it. You as a human being will never reach a place where you say, I am ghaniyun anil alameen. Right? That's only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So as an abd that is intrinsically needy, we, the only possible relationship one can have with the divine is one of ubudiyah, of, of servitude. So he says here, the meekness and submissiveness of ubudiyah encounter the magnificence and greatness of lordship, ubudiyah. So the only possible response one can have to the Rabb is as an abd. And the, the, the quality of being abd is not some denigrating title. You say to someone, you know, you're a slave or a servant. Well, if it's with in connection, in connection to other human beings, possibly. But as a description of one's relationship with Allah Ta'ala, ubudiyah is a sharaf. It's an, it's, an, it's an honor, it's a nobility. And we see that in a chapter of the Qur'an. Who knows which chapter begins with this reality? Just, well, yes, but there's something clearer. The quality of being abd as sharaf. Surah Isra. Surah Isra. Subhanalladhi asra bi'abdihi. So the Isra is an honor. And we're coming through that period, commemorating that and remembering it in these days. Subhanalladhi asra bi'abdihi. So in that, that maqam of, of sharaf, tashrif, of honoring, Allah says, glorified, exalted is the one who took his abd on the night journey. On the, the night journey, so this tells you that abd is not a title of dishonor, a title of honor. When the person is abdullah or amatullah. So turning to al-mutakabbir with ubudiyah is the only intelligent response. But what happens sometimes is people receive or they, they respond to the rububiyya with an imagined ilahiyya, as if they're independent and they can question God. This is a problem. Now, now here's where we get to the fun part. Cultivation. Now we said many times before that takhalluq means that you take the meaning of the name, what it denotes, and you cultivate that as a quality in your own character. So you have to wonder, how am I supposed to be mutakabbir? Isn't kibir bad? Well, Shaykh Ahmed ibn Ajiba, he says, the way you cultivate this name in your character is by behaving arrogantly with every arrogant tyrant. For arrogance towards them is in fact humility. 
He's not the first one to say this, right? Imam Abdullah ibn Mubarak, he's, he famously said that acting haughtily and arrogantly towards the arrogant is a kind of humility. Because the arrogant person who acts haughty and high, they want you to humble yourself before them. They really like that. That feeds their ego. But you as an abd should not humiliate yourself to an arrogant person like that. You only humble yourself to your Lord and behave with humility towards other people who are not arrogating over you this station. So you put them in their place by not giving them what they want. You don't give them their narcissistic supply, as they say today. And that is, in fact, the, the uh, kind of humility that you have. This means that you're not going to be a doormat to so people who act arrogantly and just take it. And you have to be smart about that, too. doesn't mean that you have to say things that are improper. But you have to be intelligent and not bend to the arrogant tyrant's will and act meek and submissive if you have the ability to manifest your izzatul nafs, your own self-honor as a believer. He says the way you, you cultivate this in character is by raising your ambition over every created thing. Right? So you have dunya, right? we're in dunya, we have to survive, we have aspirations. However, all of these worldly aspirations have to be subordinated to a higher aspiration. So in that sense, we should, you know, they say, you know, the person is so arrogant, they're stuck up, they, they, uh, they stick their noses up, like they're stuck up, right? You, you have to kind of be that way with the dunya, in the sense that you have a higher aspiration, and this is not your only aspiration. So you raise the ambition, because you're better than that. You're greater than that because Allah has made you the khalifa. He's made you this insan, this son or daughter of Adam. So why should you limit your aspirations to, to things that are perishing, that don't have universal, absolute, or eternal value? Right? So that's not pride in the negative sense. It's having this dignity of self, right? this greatness of soul to go beyond the mundane, to the higher aspirations that endure into the akhirah. That's what it means. He says, the cultivation of this name in your character will not be complete until you humble yourself before his greatness and submit to his wisdoms and divine judgments. I mean, you can't just be acting like this, but you're not humble to his ahkam, right? Or his, his wisdoms and his greatness, right? So it, it goes hand in hand. And for tahakkuk, realization, he says very simply, you will realize this name al-mutakabbir when all of your affairs are by Allah. Right? Because you're abd and he's rabb. And he is the only one who has the right to be mutakabbir, no one else. So going back to this, earlier we said, that mutakabbir as a name or a quality for a human being is a negative. It's naqs, it's a deficiency. Likewise, jabbar. If the person is jabbar or they're mutakabbir, that is a negative quality when it's used for human beings. But for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are perfections because they're based on the way things really are. Things as they are. Only he has the right to have uh, pride. And on the day of judgment, Allah Ta'ala will call out, Aina Jabbarun, Aina Mutakabirun. Where are the tyrants? Where are the arrogant ones? Because they have no right. In this life, they may get away with it. No one checks them. Allah extends their life. But on the day of judgment, all of that is checked and challenged, and there's there's no way a person can be arrogant on that day. لِمَنِ الْمُلْكُ الْيَوْمِ بِاللَّهِ الْوَاحِدِ الْقَحَارِ 
To whom belongs the dominion today? To Allah, the one, the irresistible. So uh, that's it for this week, insha'Allah. What's the next name? Al-Khaliq and Al-Bari and Al-Musawwir. We're going to cover all three next week because they're all connected to each other. They're different aspects of the divine act of creation. So we'll cover all three next week, insha'Allah ta'ala. And then what comes after those? In Surah Hashr. Lawl Asma'ul Husna. And I mean, you could say Al-Aziz Al-Hakim because it's at the end, but we're not, look, we're not in that order anymore. We're just looking at these ayat. So after we finish these next three names, we won't be looking at the, the particular order inside Surah Hashr. We'll be looking at the hadith which lists out the rest of the names. Yeah. So, yeah, Ghaffar is after that. Right. Wallahu Rasulu A'lamu sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Any questions? They like to mend. They like to mend things. Yeah, they're a mechanic. Yeah, inshallah, it's okay. Jabbar. So this name Jabbar, uh, interestingly enough, is uh, somewhat recognizable in North America. Does anyone know why? Karim Abdul Jabbar. He's the one who made this name famous. Yep. Yes. I mean, we know all of our affairs are by Allah, do we not? Intellectually, we know it. But do we taste it and experience it as a reality in every waking moment and every decision where it's the prism as, as, they were, as it were for that mediates every experience? Right? A good analogy may be the, what the ulama say about the levels of certainty. It's not exact, but close enough. You, know, you have yaqeen. So the ulama say you have ilmul yaqeen, aynul yaqeen, and haqqul yaqeen. So ilmul yaqeen would be certainty in knowing something. Right? Now we, we have certainty in knowing lots of things. We'll use the example of the taste of honey. Or just honey. Just honey. We, we have ilmul yaqeen about honey, what it is, where it comes from, produced by bees, certain medical properties honey has, and so on. But let's say you live in a place where no honey is produced, and it's not imported, and you don't have the internet, you know, you're isolated, so you've never actually seen honey. But you're told, well, it's this thick substance that's produced by bees and it has these properties. And you know that to be true because it comes through trustworthy sources. Right? That level of certainty is ilmul yaqeen. Right? And let's say sometime later a person flies in to visit you and they bring with them a jar of honey. And now this is your first time ever seeing honey. You know that honey exists, and you know a bit about its properties, but you've never seen it until now. So now you see the honey. He takes out the jar. He opens it for you. You can look inside and see it for yourself. It's exactly as it was described to me before. So now you have aynul yaqeen. You see it. But there's a higher level of yaqeen still to attain. And that is after you take the spoon and you dip it in and you take it a bite for yourself. Now you've tasted the honey. 
You've been told what it tastes like, but how would you really know? You just trust what people say. And now you've seen it, and now you taste it. Right? That's called haqqul yaqeen. And if you look at Jannah, it's the same thing. Like we believe in Jannah. We haven't seen Jannah. Right? We have not yet gone to that level of existence. We have not transferred to the Akhirah yet. But we believe in Jannah. Right? When the, when the believer dies and is resurrected and is brought to the gates of Jannah and the gates are open and they see inside, well, now they have Ain al Yaqeen. Now they have Ain al Yaqeen. There, when the gates are open, what do they have? Ain al Yaqeen. Because they see it. And then when they enter, what do they have? Haqqul Yaqeen. Right? So that's the level of, the, of certainty based on experience. So how does this go back to your question? Well, it's not so much about Yaqeen as it is experience or a realization through, through becoming. Right? Another way of looking at it is knowing doing and becoming right you can know something but you haven't actually done it and maybe you've done it but it's off and on right it hasn't become a, become a fixed reality for you right it's, maybe you could compare it to walking in some way you know when children are learning how to walk at first it's a it's a conscious effort to do so isn't it they have to think about it they're still gripping onto the couch and walking alongside the walls. They're still having to think about making that mind-muscle connection as they move. But eventually, as they gain that skill, they walk without even having to think about it. Right? I think that's a good analogy in that if you go back to what Ibn Ajiba says, you have tahakuk of the name al-mutakabbir when all of your affairs are by, are by Allah. Meaning that is the mediated experience. That is the experience that my walking is by Allah, my eating is by Allah, my breathing, my sleeping, my thinking, my, my salat, right? It's all by Allah. La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah becomes something I, I don't just say when I'm stressed out. It's a reality, it's an ethos, it's an experience of reality itself. So I'm describing it to you not as one who's gotten there. <laughs> I'm putting it into words just to help understand better what he's getting at. Does that make sense? Yeah. Any other questions? All right. See you next week, inshallah. <laughs>